my right leg could be saved, but my left leg was very much in question. From that point on, I said that my leg is not my life, and I'm just thankful to, to see another day. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. You can determine whether or not that adversity will be a wing or a weight. It certainly wasn't a plan for us to raise college and pro football players. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have Boston Marathon bombing survivor Rebecca Gregory, as she shares the harrowing story of that day and how losing her leg helped her find a new perspective on life. What I find so interesting about Rebecca is that she has this incredible outlook on life to deal with such difficult things. So this, you know, that she has the Boston Marathon bombing survival story, but she has several others. Like she's come close to death several times and she has this incredible attitude about it. And then one thing I didn't realize until we were actually doing the interview and you'll hear about how she responded to finding out that one of the bombers was actually in the hospital just down from her recovering at the same time and how she dealt with that as well to me is just fascinating too. So I asked Rebecca, just could you walk us through that morning, that day and everything that happened after? Well, we started out at the 17 mile marker and we were, you know, tracking our runner with an app on our phones and we were holding up our signs and everybody was really pumped about it. And then someone in our group said, hey, let's go to the finish line. Let's actually see her cross. And so meanwhile, we're trying to make our way through a crowd of half a million people. And I'm wondering why in the world I brought my kindergartner to the marathon because he's now pulling on my clothes and mom, I'm so bored. And we get to a spot right at the finish line. It was right in the middle of the action, perfect place to be. And Noah said, hey, no, I am so bored. Please take me home, take me home. And I said, buddy, why don't you sit down on my feet and play in the rocks like you're a scientist? And there were no rocks. But um, to a five-year-old, that was cool. And so he took his place at my feet with his back against my shins. And that's actually where he was when the bomb in the backpack went off three feet behind us. And so later on, you know, I figured out that that was basically what shielded my little boy. But the aftermath was was crazy. It was a war scene. I remember being thrown and I couldn't move my body. I could only move my head. And I was looking around and people's body parts were all over the ground laying next to me and blood was everywhere. I was in a pool of my own blood. My left leg was on fire. There was nails and, and ball bearings and everything that these two brothers could pack into these pressure cooker bombs. And it was it was the moment that I thought for sure I, I was going to die. That was it for me. From that standpoint, were you helped by bystanders or responders or, or, or what happened from there? That's the most amazing part of the whole journey is that even though these people didn't know if there was going to be a third or fourth or fifth bomb go off, we had so many people racing to help us, and they didn't know if they were even going to be safe. And, you know, I owe my life to those people, and it's incredible because, you know, they helped me and the others around us, and I was also able to see very quickly that my son was okay. He had a gash that I could see where he was bleeding on his leg, but physically I knew he was in much better shape than I was at that time. And that was a relief for me because I said, okay, now I can take care of me and and try to, you know, figure all of this out basically. And so I was rushed to one of the hospitals and immediately put in emergency surgery. And that's where I was for 56 days. 
Wow. What what's the kind of the healing process uh, like from that? The healing process is kind of up to you, I think. Uh, for me, I was able to see my son right away when I first woke up from a medically induced coma. And, you know, I knew right then that I had to be strong for him, that it didn't matter what happened to me, that it didn't matter the decisions that I was having to face. Very early on, a doctor came into my room and both of my legs were shredded. I almost lost my left hand. I had some internal injuries. And so I looked like a shark's leftover lunch, I mean, to be quite honest. And they they told me, they said, my right leg could be saved, but my left leg was, was very much in question. And I just, I said from that point on, I said that my leg is not my life, and I'm just thankful to, to see another day. And so I decided that that was going to be my mindset, that no matter what happened, that there's a purpose for me being here, and there's a purpose for my son being here. Because at the end of the day, we were three feet from a bomb. So if we are both here to tell you about it, then everything else is trivial, and we're doing great. Um, what? Uh, and I think you were actually here in our office when I think it was maybe the sentencing uh, took place. What? Uh, what are your thoughts, or, or how how has that developed with you in terms of your attitude or, or thoughts of the bombers? So my thoughts have always been that they didn't think about me that day, so I'm not going to think about them. Uh, it was it was really difficult because actually when I was in the hospital in Boston, the remaining bomber that had you know been in the shootout and and on the boat and everything, his brother had died, but the other one was injured and brought him. They brought him into our hospital, and that was really hard to kind of take in because number one, you have to say, okay, I'm I'm a victim of a terrorist attack. You've got to let that sink in, and then you have to say, oh my, the person that did this to me is laying in a hospital bed you know, rooms away from me. And so every time I would go into surgery, we would have to pass by his room with the guards. And so it was really just something that you see in the movies, not in real life. And so for me, when you know I, I was asked much later on to testify in the trial and, and try to make sense of all of this, you know, I just said that if anything that I can say will help the jury make their decision, then that's what I would like to do. That I'm not going to spend any of my time and energy upset and, and thinking about things that I can't change. Because at the end of, of it all, you know, I still got blown up that day. I still eventually lost my leg. And I, I have PTSD from it and, and various other things. But moving forward, I'm going to just take the gratitude from it, and I'm going to be thankful and and turn my obstacles into opportunities. Now, you're, you're talking about sort of, you know, taking, you know, an intentional path towards gratitude and some of those other things. I know the title of your book is Taking Back My Life. What are, what are some of the steps that you've made to do that? So Taking My Life Back was a, a perfect title for me because I felt like that was what I was doing. I had to pick up the pieces of my life and try to figure out this new way of living because all normalcy, let's face it, went out the window uh, at, on April fifteenth, two 2013. But the life that I've come to know is something that I will never again take for granted. And every day when I get out of bed, you know, for 26 years, I expected to get up and put two feet on the ground and go about my day. And when I couldn't do that anymore, that was a huge wake-up call for me. And so, you know, taking my life back has meant 
deciding eventually to amputate my left leg below the knee after 18 months of failed surgeries and being on 37 different pain medications a day and not being able to get out of the bed or a wheelchair. And, you know, when I, when I cut it off, I said it was like a bad boyfriend and I needed to get it out of my life for good. And then my prosthetic Felicia came into my life. And, you know, we've just had fun with it because these are all things, like I said, that I can't change. And so I have to accept them. And with that, acceptance means that these things are not going to define who I am. What defines me is what I go on to do. And so with that same prosthetic leg, you know, I ran the last portion of of the Boston Marathon. Uh, And keep in mind, I was not a runner. So this was huge for me. And, you know, and then I went and testified at the trial of of the bomber. And I just keep getting stronger in this. And there are days where it's so hard to get out of bed, but I keep doing it because it's still a beautiful day. Absolutely. And and one of the things, so a speaker we recently had on for the podcast is Olympian Scott Hamilton, and he kind of jokes around that he uh, he collects life-threatening diseases. And I know you've, you've kind of, uh, obviously it's a serious thing, but you, you've made light in the past that you kind of, uh, you know, collect near-death experiences and those actually helped helped you with this, uh, what are some of those that you, things that you've been through in the past? Oh my, how many minutes do we have for this? How much time do we have? Um, I, I joke about it, but it's so true because six months before Boston, I got held up in a Walmart parking lot and robbed at gunpoint. And I thought, you know, that was going to be the highlight. And then I look back on childhood. I was in a, a very abusive situation with my biological father. I had a life-threatening illness when I was a teenager. I got into a car accident with a deer that nearly took my life. And the deer came through my windshield and his antler pierced my wrist. And so when I woke up from that whole ordeal. I had gotten knocked out by the driver's side door and I woke up to find a dead deer staring at me in the face. So life is never boring for me apparently, but you know, I I always say that the majority of people are not going to get blown up by a bomb at a marathon, but every single person has life blow up in their face. And so through this experience, I've been able to relate on so many different levels and I've used all of that bad stuff that's kind of, you know, been a part of my life for so many years and and used it for good. And so not only can I say, hey, yeah, I was a, a survivor of the Boston Marathon, but my life has been survival mode since I can remember, really. But everything has prepared me for now. And one of the great things, too, you're not just, you know, talking about taking your own life back, but also helping others. I know you recently launched the uh, Rebecca's Angels Foundation, which helps uh, uh, in the treatment of children with PTSD. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm so excited because this is something that, you know, has been in the works for years. And so right now we have just launched. We had a great party in, in Houston for it. And basically my son had really bad PTSD after the bombing. I had very bad PTSD. But because he got treated 
early on and he got a specific PTSD treatment, he's now thriving. And so that same little boy who was scared to death to leave the house even at one point is is out in the world and interacting and the bombing is just a story to him. And there's so many different situations and cases where kids go through trauma and then they don't get the help and they don't have the resources they need. And so then, you know, later on in life, it affects them in so many different ways, whether it be depression or substance abuse or violence or even suicide. And so we see so many of those cases and we just want to bring awareness to the fact that childhood PTSD is a very real thing. And so that's one of the things that we've done through this is, you know, we see a problem, we see a need and and we're tackling it. And it's so humbling and I feel so grateful to be able to do that. And it truly gives everything that we've been through so much more purpose than I could ever imagine. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Jount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.